0: You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. If you, Hey, I would absolutely love it if you would open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17. That's where we are going to be this morning. And let me, let me tell you, I've been looking forward... Uh, to gathering with you all uh, here today all week long. I'm so thankful that we get the opportunity to spend some time together. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Adam, and I would love uh, the chance uh, after our worship gathering to shake your hand, learn your name, and get to know you uh, just a little bit more. I want to thank you. Uh, for your willingness to spend a little time with us this morning. I know that there's uh, a million things that you could be doing. There's football games on TV. There's people that you could be meeting with. There's things uh, that you could be doing, but we think there's something both strategic and significant about gathering together and, and learning about Jesus, fixing our eyes on him and praising his name and uh, opening up the word of God to learn about who God is and how can we, we can walk joyfully in obedience to him. So thank you for being here. I'm looking forward to it. At Redemption Church, we're all about seeing lives changed by Jesus and disciples made. We're not here to necessarily entertain you. Uh, We're here to engage you with the love uh, of the gospel, that we want to meet you where you are and help you know Jesus and take steps uh, in your walk with Jesus. So thank you again for being here. Hey, this summer, uh, I uh, had a book that I I really wanted to read. I'm kind of weird. I I go through seasons of reading. Sometimes I really love to read. Sometimes I don't read for a while. But every year, I kind of have a a list of books that I want to read. In fact, in my uh, little study at home, I have a pile of books. uh, And they are, I wish they were more organized. They're in piles. But some of those have already been read. Some of those are in the process of being read, and some of those are still to be uh, read. And I'm a little bit different. I like to read multiple books at one time, it just keeps things interesting, unless you mix the books up. Like if you all of a sudden take a story from this book and that book can get a little weird. But this summer, I read a book by a pastor, his name's Louis Giglio. And he wrote a book called Goliath Must Fall. And, and I, I dove into this and, and I really loved it and enjoyed it. And as I was reading through the book, I thought this would make a really great sermon series. And so uh, it was after reading uh, uh, Goliath Must Fall by Louis Giglio that I said, hey, this year we're going we're gonna to do a sermon series called Slaying Giants. And so this sermon series has kind of been inspired by uh, Louis Giglio, who's the pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, and uh, by his... Book And so uh, you can pick that up on Amazon. It is a great read. And I would invite you uh, to really plug in over the next four weeks because we're going to be talking about uh, how to slay giants. What does it look like for us uh, to get over our fear uh, of giants and actually begin to walk in faith? In fact, if you've opened up your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17 recounts uh, the conflict or the happenings or what I like to call the showdown before David and Goliath. And no matter your experience with church, whether you maybe grew up going to church, maybe it's been a while since you've been to church, maybe you've never even read the Bible at all, you've heard uh, the story of David and Goliath. It's one of those classic stories that's lasted uh, the test of time for 3,000 years because it's a classic underdog story. David, the little shepherd boy, goes up against Goliath, the nine-foot giant, and he wins. And it's one of those stories that that speaks to our heart because uh, when I think about giants, I think there's something inside of every single one of us that says, you know what, I have faced or I am facing some giants. In fact, when I think about giants, I think about a guy named Todd. Uh, I have no idea why, but at some point, this guy Todd made the decision that it would be really enjoyable for him to make life miserable for me as a kid. And we grew up in a neighborhood, and Todd actually lived right across the street, just kitty corner a little bit. And Todd just thought it was hilarious to to pick on me and make fun of me and make life hard for me. And, And I had a little bit of a problem because Todd lived in between my house and the house of my two best friends. And so I had to go by Todd's house to get to my friend's house, and so Todd would pick on me and make fun of me. He would throw crab apples at me from time to time, and sometimes they would hit me and they would hurt. Todd made waiting for the bus a horrible experience. I became like a ninja. I could time perfectly the arrival of the bus at the bus stop, and I could dart from my house to the bus stop to get on the bus while minimizing my exposure and my time with Todd. But then something kind of incredible happened around middle school is I started to realize that Todd no longer picked on me like he used to pick on me. I noticed that I didn't have to dart from my house to the the bus stop any longer, that I could just hang with my friends at the bus stop, and I remember one morning as we were waiting at the bus stop, I I leaned over and I said to one of my friends, like, hey, this is kind of neat. Todd doesn't pick on me anymore, but I don't know why. And my friend said back to me, he's like, dude, it's because you're bigger than him now. (laughs) And that middle school growth spurt was incredible. Uh, All of a sudden, I was taller than Todd and I was bigger than Todd, but here's the truth, I was still afraid of Todd. In fact, if I'm honest with you, it it took me a while to get over my fear of Todd. Now, this series isn't about people like Todd. But if you're facing someone like Todd, I'd be more than happy to help you with that situation. Okay, we'll just go extend the right arm of fellowship and get things right. But this series isn't about guys like Todd. It's about things like anxiety. It's about things like fear and rejection and addiction and worry and anger. It's about those things that we face in our lives that, that cause us to be afraid. It's those things in our lives that look so big. They've been there for so long. We have no idea how we'll ever overcome those things. Every single one of us has faced, will face, or is facing giants in our life. And see, the reason we're going to really drill down on this and kind of take a deep dive over the next four weeks is because I believe God wants you to know that you can be free from whatever it is that's tormenting you, intimidating you, and terrifying you today. It doesn't matter how long you've been wrestling with it, It doesn't matter how many times it's knocked you down. It doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter how ugly it is. It doesn't even matter how afraid you are of it. I believe God wants to set you free, and he wants you to know that you can be free. But see, every single one of us in our lives have those things that cause us to be afraid. Every one of us had that person or that situation or that thing or that struggle that causes fear. And see, that feeling of fear, that anxiety, that uncertainty is exactly what's happening in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Just to give you a little bit of background, when you read in 1 Samuel 17, when you see this big long word, the Israelites... Well, the Israelites are God's chosen people. That God has a relationship with them, that God has been with the Israelites, that they had come from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, which God made covenants with, that when they were in slavery to Egypt, God rescued them from Egypt and promised to give them salvation and freedom and purpose and family. And as part of that, he said, hey, I'm going to give you physical land, the land of milk and honey, a place that I've prepared for you. That God shows his grace to them and says, listen, you didn't build any of the houses, you didn't plant any of the vineyards, you haven't worked any of the land, but because You're my people, and because I'm your God, I'm going to give you this land as a gift. And when you dwell in the land, you'll know that I am your God, and you will be my people, and we will enjoy one another. And so in 1 Samuel 17, the Israelites are in the promised land that God has given them. But here's something that you need to see, something that's significant, is that even though the Israelites are in the promised land, they still have an enemy. In fact, this enemy shows up all throughout the Old Testament, and they're called the Philistines. Uh, The Philistines and the Israelites are always coming into conflict with one another. There's always friction between them. There are wars between them. And in 1 Samuel 17, you'll see that the Israelites are camped out in the Valley of Allah. And as they're there, they're under the rule and the leadership of Saul, who is currently the king of Israel. And at this point, Saul is a mighty warrior. He's the leader over Israel, and he is the king. And as the Israelites are camped out in one side of the valley, in the other side of the valley, the the big, ugly, hairy, nasty enemies, the Philistines, show up. And there's... A conflict that erupts. And I think it's interesting because just like in the life of the nation of Israel, I think it's true in your life and my life that isn't it true that we tend to bump up against the same thing over and over again? It seems to be that struggle is the same struggle that we used to have that we don't want to have, but here it is again, and maybe we thought we had a little bit of victory, but now we're in the battle again. That's the story of Israel. Sometimes it's our story too. So First Samuel 17, starting in verse 2, this is what's going on in the valley of Allah with Israel and the Philistines. It says, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Allah. And they drew up in line a battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. That's about nine feet tall. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. Uh, the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spears had weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's about 15 pounds. And he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Saul. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. For if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. And so Israel is ready for a battle. The Philistines are there. And out of the Philistine army comes a giant named Goliath. And says, listen, we don't all have to go to battle. I'll fight somebody. You send me a champion. If your champion wins, this army becomes your army. We serve you. But if the the giant Goliath wins, he says, then your army becomes our army. And you will serve us. And there in this conflict... In the middle of the battle, look what 1 Samuel seventeen eleven says next. It says, when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The nation of Israel comes up against a giant, and it says not just Saul, but all were afraid. In fact, if you skip ahead to 1 Samuel Chapter 17, verse 24, it says, And the men of Israel, when they saw the man talking about Goliath, they fled from him and were much afraid. Like, hey, Samuel, how afraid were they? They were much afraid. Like, when they saw Goliath, people started running the other direction. And just a couple observations for our own lives this morning. The first one is this, is we all face giants in our lives. We might might not face nine-foot, big, ugly, hairy, Goliath-type giants, but we all face giants. This story is 3,000 years old, but let's be honest, it's a story that matches our lives today because we all face giants. And even in a room this size, I wonder how many of us are are facing giants in our personal lives? How many of us are facing giants in our marriages? Are facing giants in the lives of our children? Are facing giants in our finances or in the workplace? Maybe it's a giant in your health. Maybe it's an addiction. Whatever it is for you, you're in good company because we all face giants. They're big, they're scary, they're ugly, and they can put us on the run. Now, don't miss this. This is true for the nation of Israel, but this is true for you and for me, is that when we run from our giants, we actually run from the power and the promises of God. When we run from our giants... We actually run from the power and the promises of God. Hey, would you do me a favor this morning? Would you look at somebody sitting next to you when you just say, I'm in the battle this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm in the battle this morning. Now this is important. The Israelites are in the promised land. They're in the land that God promised them. They're in the land of milk and honey. They're living in the houses they did not build. They're eating from the vineyards that they did not plant. They are experiencing the goodness and the glory of God. But here's the deal. There's still a battle to face. The nation of Israel, to get to the promised land, had to get delivered from Egypt. And God delivered them. They walked on dry land through the Red Sea when God swallowed up Pharaoh and his army. He led them through the wilderness. They walked into the promised land through the Jordan that God parted and they walked through and they came to their first enemy in Jericho and God crashed down the walls of the city of Jericho that you and I can live in the promised land. But there's still battles we have to face. See, God never told the nation of Israel, and God never tells you, and he never tells me, hey, you'll never have to face any battles. In fact, every time we come up against a battle, every time we come up against a giant, it's an opportunity to remember the goodness and the power and the faithfulness of our God. That we remember what he has done, and it's supposed to give us faith for what he will do. But here's another observation in the scripture and for our lives. The fear of giants can be paralyzing. That if the giants themselves aren't scary, our fear of giants can paralyze us. See, I would suggest to you that the people of God in 1 Samuel 17 who have seen God do incredible things, who have witnessed the miraculous are now faced with a very big problem, but their only problem is not Goliath. One of their problems is the fear that they have. And they have become so afraid that they have been paralyzed by their fear. Samuel tells us it this way in 1 Samuel seventeen sixteen. He says, For 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. What that means is, in the Valley of Allah, Israel on one side, the Philistines on the other side, for 40 days, every morning, every evening, Goliath came out, called uh, someone to come forward and fight him, In the army of the living God, the army of Israel, tucked, tail, and ran every single day. Which means you could kind of assume that there would be uh, conversations in the camp, like, you know, Hey, bro, hurry up and finish your cereal. Uh, It's almost time for us to go down to the valley, and we want to get a good spot. We want to see the giant, and we want to make sure we can run from him because this is our habit now. Like, we go to the valley, we see the giant, and then we want to run from the giant. Nobody wants to be in the first row because what if the guy behind you pushes you forward? Like, so this is a part of their life hey man, finish up dinner, we got to go get defeated real quick. Let's go watch that giant make fun of us and mock us and say things about our God and we want to make sure we can get back to the campfire before it cools down. And so for 40 days and 40 nights, they listened to the taunting and the mocking of Goliath twice a day, every day. Now, I went to public school and didn't pay a lot of attention and math isn't my strong suit, but let me give you a little equation that I know is true. When we focus on the size of our giant, plus listening to the voice of our giant, will always equal paralyzed in fear. Focusing on the size of our giant, plus listening to the voice, of our giant, giant, always equals being paralyzed in fear. This became so normal that every day the nation of Israel would get up and listen to Goliath and bash them, bash their God, mock them, and then they would just go on with their day. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. Fear is not what God desires for your life. Fear should never become normal. In fact, this is the way John says it in John 10.10. He says the thief comes to only steal and to kill and to destroy, but Jesus says he has come that we have life and life abundantly. And you know what absolutely breaks my heart is that people who claim to know Jesus and be saved by Jesus have fallen short and settled for less than God desires for them. That we have become content with a life that Jesus never desired for us. That our lives become normal, a life of fear, a life of defeat, a life of no joy, a life of no purpose, a life where all we focus on is ourselves. A life where all we hope is that next week will be a little bit better than this week. And friends, Jesus did not die on the cross in our place and for our sins and rise again on the third day. He didn't forgive us for our sins and and reunite us with God so we could be adopted sons and daughters. He didn't give us victory so that we could live lives marked by fear. Rather, he calls us because of who he is and what he's done that we can live lives marked by faith. And see, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, if this was a movie, this is where the dramatic victory overture would kick in. This is where the music would begin to change in the movie, and it changes when this guy named David enters the scene. What you have to know about David is David's a young man, but he's already been chosen by God to be the next king of Israel. And I think this is fascinating because I love a good underdog story. And what we discover is in 1 Samuel 17 and 18 is that David's older brothers are in the battle. So David's older brothers are participating 40 days, 40 nights, going down, seeing the giant, running in fear, and doing it all again the next day. And so Jesse, David's dad, says, hey, I want you to take some food to your brothers. In fact, what he tells him is, I want you to take some grain, I want you to take some bread, and I want you to take 10 different cheeses for the commander of the army. So David enters 1 Samuel 17 like the pizza delivery guy. He's coming to check on his older brothers and bring them some food. And his dad asks him, hey, I want you to come back with a report, tell me how your brothers are doing and so David shows up in Elah like the delivery guy and he's expecting to be among the best he's expecting to be among the living army of God he's expecting to be surrounded by men who live in faith because they know the awesomeness and the power and the miraculous things that their God has done and yet he shows up and everyone's living in fear so David delivers what he's supposed to deliver, and he's like, guys, what's going on? And they begin to tell him about the giant. They tell him, hey, for 40 days and for 40 nights, we just go down to the valley, and this giant calls us out, and we live in fear. And in 1 Samuel seventeen twenty six, it says that David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? David's like, hey, quick question. What do you get if you kill the giant? And they're like, well, the king's actually worried about that, so here's what he'll do for you. Whoever beats the giant gets some prize money. Uh, You and your family are tax-free for the rest of your lives. No IRS, no state. No federal taxes ever. And, <laughs> and you get to marry the king's daughter, which means you become royalty. Like you go from your house to the palace. And David goes, well, I'm going to do something about this. I'm not going to sit back and listen to this guy mock our God and mock the army of God. I'm, I'm going to do something about this. 1 Samuel seventeen thirty two says, And David said to Saul... Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. David goes, listen, the, the people of God are demoralized. The name of God is being defamed. The people of God who should be living by faith are living in fear. And somebody needs to step up and trust in God, someone needs to be reminding the people of God, remember what he has done for us, and we can put our trust and our faith that he'll do something for us today. And so David said, I look around, and I guess I'm the guy, the pizza delivery guy will become the warrior for the nation of Israel. And Saul says to David in 1 Samuel seventeen thirty three, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. I think Saul as king has a PR problem. He's like, I want to do something about the giant, but what will people think if I send a teenager out there? Like if I send as king a a 15-year-old boy to fight the giant, what will people think? So Saul tells David, listen, you're, you're too young. He says, you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. It's like, yo, David, this guy's been a giant since he was your age. He's been killing men your size since he was your age. Surely you can't do anything about it. And I love this because maybe this is just the way I interpret this scripture. But David talks back to the king a little. And when he talks back to the king, he's not being disrespectful. He's just reminding him of the goodness and the sovereignty and the power of the king of kings. And he says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said to Saul, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Nobody was planning to have David at the dinner table (laughs) later that night. And if you know the story, David on his way to meet Goliath grabs five smooth stones from the riverbed. There's all kinds of theories about why he would grab five stones. Some people say well, it's because he thought it would take five shots, but who knows? Some people suggest that Goliath actually had four brothers that you see mentioned later in scripture. It says things like they had more than five fingers on every hand and more than five toes on every foot and so that these giant men with extra fingers, David said, hey, there's five of them so I'll just take a stone for each of them in case his brothers come after me too. So the little shepherd boy grabs his stones and he goes down and comes faith to face with Goliath. And you have to imagine for a second, the Philistines are like, we've got this. Like these Israelites sent a boy to fight our giant. And before they get into battle, David has a few words to say to Goliath. In 1 Samuel seventeen forty-five to 47, he says to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. And David knows that the way they look at him is like the underdog. They're all thinking, what is he going to do? What kind of weapon does does he have? David doesn't even have a sword with him. He goes, I see you, Goliath. I see your armor. I see your spear. I see your sword. But I, I want you to know that I do come up against you. He says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This is why we read the Old Testament. There's really good stuff in there. (laughs) And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and not with a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. David tells the Goliath, "You think you've won, but he's like, before I fling a stone, I want you to know you're already defeated." I want you to know, Goliath, you don't own this battle. My God owns this battle. You think you're the most powerful guy in the valley, Goliath, but I'm here to tell you that my God created the valley you stand in. And if you know the story, David takes a stone out of his pouch and he puts it in his slingshot and it hits Goliath right between the eyes and the scriptures say that Goliath stumbled a bit and fell stone cold dead on the spot. And I imagine as people were watching, people thought, there's no way this huge giant got taken down with a stone. Some of the Philistines probably thought to themselves, oh, it's a tactic. Goliath wants David to get close to him so he can just squeeze his head like a watermelon and defeat him. And here's what David knew. David knew that a dead giant can still cause trouble until everybody knows it's really dead. And so the scriptures say that David runs towards the giant, not having a sword of his own, he takes Goliath's sword, he cuts off Goliath's head, and then he walks around the valley holding Goliath's head. And you say, well, why would he do that? Because when you see the giant's head not attached to the giant's body, you realize the giant is dead. And so David takes Goliath's head back to the army and says, you don't have anything to fear because there's a giant slayer in the valley. See, when you're afraid of a giant, what you need is a giant slayer. Now here, friends, is where this gets a little bit interesting. Because whenever you read a story like this in scripture, you have to ask the question, who am I in the story? You see, because we're Americans and we're kind of full of ourselves and we kind of focus on ourselves, we like to read the story of David and Goliath and go, because of my God, I am David. But friends, you and I are not David in the story. You and I are the nation of Israel afraid for 40 days and for 40 nights awaiting A giant slayer. Now, I feel like we kind of came to a a little bit of a screeching halt, but stay with me. All throughout the scripture, there's one hero in the Bible, and his name is Jesus. Uh, Sixty-six books make up the New Testament and the Old Testament, but there's one story about one hero. His name is Jesus. We are not the shepherd boy who comes to the valley. Jesus is the good shepherd who comes to the valley and kills the giant. And here's why I think this is good news because Jesus isn't telling you to be fearless, go get some stones, and go kill your giants. He's not telling you to buck up. He's not telling you to put on your boots and strap up. He's not telling you to start throwing stones. What Jesus wants is for you and I to wake up and to realize that he is the giant slayer. That we don't have to go fight giants. That Jesus has already given us victory over the giants. This is why when Jesus hung on the cross in our place for our sin, Jesus yelled, it is is finished not to be continued see in the moment that jesus died in our place for our sins all of our enemies all of sin all of satan's power all his authority was finished diminished and done and the good news for you and for me is is that whenever you come up against a giant you're coming up against a giant who's already been defeated defeated The question is, will you walk in fear or will you walk in faith? See, Jesus is the shepherd who comes in to the valley to defeat the giants and deliver his people. And see, it matters because freedom, your freedom, my freedom, is always found on the other side of victory. But the good news is, is we have been given Victory in Jesus who died and who rose again on the third day and his name is above all names. We have victory in Jesus even against the giants that we face. Friends, Jesus is your giant slayer. He's not asking you to fight your giant alone. He's asking you to allow him to give you the victory he desires for you over your giant. So what do we do? Well, I really hope that you'll take the next four weeks and plug in with us. I really hope that you'll take the next couple Sundays and make it a priority to be here because each week we're going to talk about how we can allow Jesus to work in our lives in such a way that we would cooperate with him as he begins to take down our giant's. But if we were going to take one step this morning, step one in overcoming our fear with faith, step one in becoming fearless, step one in slaying our giants is simply this, we need to shift our focus. If you were going to do one thing today, I would just ask you to do this, shift your focus. See, whenever we're faced with giants, we tend to focus on the size of, of our giant. Our eyes get locked on our problems. Our eyes get locked on the thing we're afraid of. Our eyes get locked on that thing that stands in our path. And when our eyes get locked, we also begin to sing the praises of the problem. Don't miss this. When you focus on your problem, when you focus on your giant, eventually your mouth becomes filled with the praise of your giant. You ever met somebody like this? Every time you talk to them, it's like, this is how bad it is. This is how hard it is. I'm never going to get over this. It's never going to stop. I'm just going to live in defeat. And what they begin to do is sing worship to the giant. And for some of us, if we're completely honest this morning, in the last season of our lives, our praising has been, how great is my giant? He's big and ugly. How great. We sing the Praise. All we can talk about is the giant and how big it is and how ugly it is and how many times it showed up again. See, David, out of the entire army of Israel, was the only person in the valley who saw Goliath from the perspective of the size of God and the goodness and the strength of God. See, everybody else looked at the giant, went, the giant's so big, and his armor's so heavy, and he's nine feet tall, and just the tip of his spear is 15 pounds, and man, how could our God ever deal with this giant? See, for some of us, we need to stop telling God about the size of our giant. And what we need to do is tar- start telling our giant about the size of our God. See, Saul and the army had a pretty good view of Goliath. But David, when he entered the Valley of Allah, he came in with a galactic view of God. Uh, this is the same David who in Psalm 8, when he's out in the shepherd field at night, watching over the flock, writes, In Psalm chapter 8, our Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. He goes down to verse 3, when I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? David goes, God, I think you're so big. I think you're so huge. I mean, I'm just looking at the heavens, and you created all that, and you put it all together, and you hold it all together. Like the reason Mars hasn't crashed into the earth is because, God, you hold it in its place. And, God, I think you're so big. Why would you even think about us? I mean, God, of all the places your attention could be, you know my name? And not only do you know my name, you care about me? So when David walks into the valley, he goes, yeah, that dude's huge. Nine foot, hairy, stinky, yeah. That's a big giant. He's got a big spear. And we should probably be afraid of him. Except for someone needs to go tell this guy about the size of our God. You know, the one that created the earth and all things in it. You know, the, the one that created the heavens, the one that created the universe, the one that put a beat in your heart and air in your lungs. Someone should go tell the giant about the size of our God. And friends, some of us just need to make that shift today in our focus. We need to take our eyes off of ourselves. We need to take our eyes off of our problems. We need to take our eyes off of our giant. And instead of telling God how big our problems are, we need to start telling our problems and our giants how big our God is. Maybe for you today, you need to enter into a relationship with Jesus where you could know him as your Savior, where you would love love him and, and trust him, that you would repent of your sin and walk in joyful obedience to him and that you would begin to see him as your Savior and your giant Slayer. And you could look at your giants and say, hey giant, I know you're not afraid of me, but I'm not the one that's about to fight you. I'm going to allow Jesus, the one who died in my place for my sin and rose on the third day in victory over everything. Yeah, I'm not the giant slayer. He is. And giant, you're going down. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.